Should we talk about uh, the innocence? Good evening, Fright fans, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. I'm your host, Mike Keller, and I'm joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Today, we are continuing Kit's Girls in White Dresses Triple Feature with 1961's The Innocents, starring Deborah Kerr and directed by Jack Clayton. And cinematography by Freddie Francis. Mm -hmm. All right. Kit, tell us a little bit about this picture. What made you select it for uh, discussion? Well, I can't really remember if I've seen it before because I definitely remember the scene like uh, by the water where they're looking at that ghost lady in the pond. Yeah. Um, Maybe it was brought to my radar by The Haunting of Hill House, which is a show that I wouldn't watch, but that owes very much to this movie. It's even called Bly House. Oh, wait, no. Bly Manor. Yeah. Bly Manor. Bly Manor. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so they, and also um, the the Shirley Jackson story and the Turn of the Screw have, like, things in common. Like, I don't know if the Shirley Jackson story actually, because, like, in that show, they have, like, a lady who drowns in a pond and people are seeing her, whatever. Anyway, um, so I don't remember if I'd seen this before, uh, but I have been wanting to watch it for the last couple of years. Um because it just sounded uh, really spooky. And it's the kind of, you know, we were talking about how I just watched uh, uh, Black Christmas. Mm -hmm. And to me, that movie and this movie has some things in common as well, even though, like, you know, it's not not a slasher at all. Um, But just... In in that again, I hate. I also don't like the term elevated horror. I'll just say the kind of horror that I like, which is more psychological, not very gory, and also very house based. Um, I really, I really enjoy. So I was looking forward to yeah. watching. I'm also like on a Deborah Carr kick, kind of like, hey, is she the best actress ever? And I don't think she ever won an Oscar, and but she was nominated like six times. Um, and yeah, her track record, her movie track record is like fucking impeccable. Um, yeah. And I believe this, she might have said that this is her favorite movie that she did. And she was in Black Narcissus, right? She was in Black Narcissus yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. From here it's to Eternity, funny. The King and I. Uh, oh, is she the, is she the, uh, is she the I? Is she Anna? Yes. Ah. Wait. Oh, wow. You're going to, you're going to hate me. I have always, I have always. I fair to remember. I've seen, I, I've seen the King and I like probably a hundred times. You thought it was Julie Andrews? I did. How did you know? <laughs> I thought it was Jodie Foster. Well, that's the remake. That's the remake. Oh, Mike. I gotta tell you. Mike! <laughs> thank you so much, dude. Because I was like looking like an idiot. I was looking like an absolute buffoon. And then you walked into the that's room. That's what I do. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. <laughs> Uh, cool. uh, and I was going to say though, it's funny. I think have, unless had had I not watched Black Narcissus, Black Narcissus, uh, two two weeks ago, um, I don't think I would have like ever made the connection 
Like yeah. that's what that's the same person. Just because she's always wearing the habit and uh She also anyways, yeah, I mean she does good. she's a really um good she often plays ladies I I don't know. I think she has a reputation for playing women who are sort of like prim, but actually mm. a lot of the roles she takes are like women who are like have a like you know like a kind of just like sexuality like exploding just under the surface like movies that are right on the obviously like from here to eternity and affair to remember black narcissus this movie like women who are just like about to, <laughs> to go crazy with lust kind of so um, not to totally jump over the have we seen this before uh for andrew and i but the sexuality thing i do i guess I at least, if we don't want to talk about it now, I at least want to make sure we get to that. Mm-hmm. Bro, there because is I no way we could skirt around that shit. I, okay, but I, what is that? What is it? I don't understand. <laughs> I do, bro, I don't know, I don't, man. I don't, watch, I don't watch The Innocence and be like, it's repressed sexuality. But maybe my sexuality is so repressed that I just, <laughs> I totally miss how this is repressed sexuality. Okay. Walk me through it. Hold my hand. Well, do you remember that scene of like a cock shaped thing dangling from the window, like, and it's beating against the glass no. in time with a woman screaming? No. Okay. Well, that's shit like that. <laughs> okay. Do you I remember like? Do you remember stuff. like bugs wow. crawling out of mouths and flowers that are like living and dead and like yes. you know all of this shit? Okay. The montage so, stuff in this was awesome. I thought it was really cool. Yes. Um. What does the bug coming out so, of the mouth mean? Yeah. Was that phallic? It's not it's phallic. Not phallic necessarily, but it's that's all. Yeah. Think about it this way: it's like, not... do you think that Bram Stoker's Dracula is like a horny movie? Yeah, for fucking for sure. sure. Okay. But it's not just because it has titties in it, right? It's because of just like the sensuality of the scenery and like the way things are emphasized and shot. Or like when she's having a job interview for a governess pos- position, it's like shot like a love scene. Like she's like about to I make can... out with that dude. So, but what's the also? She kisses element? a little boy twice in this movie. Yeah, I that think... that the at the end. Okay, that's where I was like, "What if I kisses been her too?" Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's it <was> that. <laughs> but then, I mean, that's kind of has. I felt like that had more to do with the possession element. I, and like, and then at the end, I was a little bit like, "Huh, okay." Well, it's an it's an but... ambiguous movie, right? So, sure, like, okay. this, the backstory here is it's based on a Henry James novel, "The Turn of the Screw." Mm-hmm. Um. There had been an like important literary interpretation, like literary criticism of that novel that suggested that that the paranormal activity was really a projection of this woman who is attempting to sort of either play out or sort of repress slash justify um her attraction either to this strange boy or the young boy as a proxy for either his uncle or the dead guy who was like banging people in public in the house, like okay. who's like very attractive. So, and personally, I read the movie somewhat like the Scarlet Letter, where in the Scarlet Letter, there's all this talk about how Hester and Dimsdale's child is the devil. And what I th- personally think is happening in that novel and like i'm not alone in this is that hester is projecting her guilt over her sin onto a girl little girl who's behaving very normally but she's seeing in it all of these like devilish things and that's how i feel about this movie that through deborah carr's eyes the children appear to be like being super 
creepy and weird, but they're just being weird little kids. And okay. it's her, you know, I, I think she's forcing the interpretation of their possess. I don't, I don't, I don't personally, I think the movie is just ambiguous enough that you might believe that like the ghosts are real. And that's, that's a real like supernatural occurrence. Um, but it was deliberately like Truman Capote is the main author of this script. Yeah. And mm -hmm. he was particularly emphasizing like a Freudian um, yep. understanding of like Southern Gothic horror. Yeah. Um, okay. And then the director brought like kind of he wanted to like pull back on that a little bit. Like he the director pursued that vision. That's why he asked Truman Capote to work on it. But then in the end, he ended up, he wanted it to be sort of balanced with maybe, you know, could the ghosts be real? So, like, it's not that it's not, it's not that there's no justification for thinking, like, no, I think it was just a haunting. But certainly behind the scenes, a big part of the intention was for you to wonder if this is just kind of a crazy lady either like fantasizing about a dead guy and an uncle and a little like you know all and then creating this whole drama for herself i think why i didn't personally pick up on it like while i was watching the movie was that like i think i what i don't get maybe is that it doesn't seem like she's like attracted to anything and then pushing it down it seems like i mean especially i think also maybe it works better in a book than a film because you see it you know, so there's mm -hmm. a, there well, could be the question of like, are these real or I mean, in the sense of the film, are these is this a real haunting or is this in her head? I think you can do that in a film. But in terms of like, like everything on the Wikipedia page was like repressed sexuality, et cetera. Well, and I was like, I didn't like what what was she what was she pu pu pushing down? You said possibly that she was. Well, there's like, no the there's or, no suitable. I mean, if I think if it sounds like it sounds like what you're saying is that sex is involved but it's not but who's repressing it well yes like, or yeah but we even we don't even see her pushing down her desire i think for there's but there's thing. no suit i think the fact that there's no suitable male object and it's also in what she says that like when she's talking to the uh maid or whatever a uh, mrs gross about the guy and the the dead guy and lady having sex like in front of her Mm. I do think we see in Deborah Carr like a she like is like horrified and like recoils at that, but is also like, keep talking. <laughs> like, I want to hear more about this. And then she goes on a trip in the night through the house where she's like imagining all of this stuff happening. I think the repression okay. comes in in the fact that. You know, her explorations of that are framed as horrific she frames them yes like the repression aspect is that she frames this as the children are being possessed and we must save them or like the house is haunted or like they're you know this horrible thing is happening when okay. it, what it feels like is her own fantasies um are the thing that is like terrifying her and it's not like it's you know the first time in media when we've seen you know the a depiction of somebody being you know repressed as somebody who is like outwardly against whatever they're actually repressing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, I feel like that's pretty common, right? Cause she, she, she talks about how she's like, a, she's a minister's daughter, right? And she's like okay. very, like, you know, 
talks she talks a lot about how she like she alone can save the children I, I think it's a there's like a hubris to her um but yeah I tend to read it as that she is projecting all of this onto these kids okay um, and I guess part of why that might not have registered with me is because like I did kind of think it was odd that like that the employee or like that the staff I guess they were like on the staff at the at the estate mm-hmm. like that they would have just been like banging in the room oh and, it like, is she said they did it in front of the kids but yeah so i, I, I guess, agree i guess maybe my i'm framing i'm like i'm thinking repressed sexuality would be inherently bad but like it's like that's probably fine to like not have sex in front of the kids i think were that's they, part were... of what deborah carr's crime is is that it's like sh- these kids have experienced like you know traumatic Some events kind of abuse yeah yeah like they've had to see this they've both the like the woman killed herself on the property like yeah. there's been all this death around them and then and deborah carr is like you know <laughs> like trying to force them to talk about it again yeah talk about stuff that really like they it's probably you know they should probably <laughs> it's probably best that they just like get to move on from that you know yeah although but clearly like there's something up with the kids like you know, whether know. it was the effect of the the trauma, or I don't know, it's I don't even know what I would describe it as. What whether it's an effect of what they were exposed to, I, or I think uh, ghosts. I think I, I've been thinking about the kids a lot because they definitely are fucking weird, which mm-hmm. which works. It's in service of you know, it works in service of of making the movie like creepy and making you feel uneasy. But I also remember that these are two unwanted children mm-hmm. who live in a weird world where uh they live in the strange bu- bubble where they're pretty much just surrounded by adults who don't have any actual claim over them um i think that's just like an odd that's an odd upbringing i think that's gonna make yeah. you into a weird not quite socialized kid well, yeah. and they talk, the dialogue, I think, tries to be very careful about giving you, like, an ordinary, like, a non-supernatural explanation for everything. Because, like, mm-hmm. the Mrs. Gross clearly says, like, she's talking about their uncle who, like, doesn't want to deal with them at all. And says, like, he's, like, the most charming man. He can convince you of anything. And the children are exactly the same. Like, oh, like yeah. he, like, <laughs> like, she talks. There, there are all these sort of just, like, situational things that would also explain what they're doing or like the song that the little girl knows she's like well it's in the music box it's in the house (laughs) like yeah you know yeah yeah and like a kid saying like oh he said he saw a hand at the bottom of the water like a kid could make that that up out of nowhere or a kid who knew that a lady drowned herself there like could also say like i just think that you know kids are weird too (laughs) So. For sure, I feel like that's the the poster. That's like the tagline. Yeah, this. kids are weird. <laughs> they um, are. They do weird things. They say weird things. A lot of it doesn't make sense. So I, 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 I would. It's not a huge leap for me with these with like believing these children. I would go so far as to say they say the darndest things. They do right. say the darndest. And, the and I still say. think as weird as the kids are, like Deborah Carr is way weirder. <clears throat> Like yeah, for sure. she's oh, much she's... more of a freak. So have have Apps. either of you guys seen Repulsion? No. Mm-mm. Okay. I was I thought of Repulsion a lot when I watched this. It's uh, basically it's about uh, 
a lady. Actually, wait a minute. Maybe I'm mixing this up with the Polanski movie. Yeah. <clears throat> well, there's also the tenant, but I think it's repulsion. It's it's the lady like she's in uh, an apartment and she just like completely isolates herself. It it, mm-hmm. it also has to do with I feel like yeah. she got assaulted or raped or something, and then she like isolates herself and kind of goes crazy. And I don't know. It reminded me a lot of this. Also, like I'm pretty sure I had seen this movie back in college, uh, The Innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those like handful of like black and white '60s ghost movies that like I just they all just kind of meld together. Um, but uh, I don't know what my point was. But yeah. So, anyways, uh, it was a good movie. <clears throat> yeah, that's the thing. Um, so when this started, like after the credits, which I thought, oh, that's fun. That looks. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what this was. I had I didn't read the back of the box. I just yeah went with it and um like that first scene or whatever i was i I will say for the first like 10 minutes of this movie i'm like oh god i'm gonna fall asleep i'm gonna be so not that i (laughs) am falling asleep but i'm just like just because you know how it's like that very like like flat Mm -hmm. you know holly like big hollywood uh like hollywood hot lights it's just like it's it's i can see there's nothing Mm -hmm. there's nothing that's really drawing me in at this moment and then like just as soon as I realized what this movie was, I was fully on board. Uh, absolutely loved it. Totally blew me. Uh, the cinemascope stuff, just so, just it's wider than the Avengers. It's insane. <laughs> and it's and it and here's the thing: you're while watching this movie on my TV screen, like I, I was both sad that I will never get to see this movie on a screen that no longer exists. Um, but also it felt like the biggest movie I'd ever seen. Like it's the, 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 uh, the close-ups with the like really wide lenses. And then just honestly, it's that first, that first, I don't know what to call it. Not split diopter shot. That's a shot that would only, that mm-hmm. would be a split diopter shot now. It's a deep focus, deep I focus. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what, yeah. so what I think they did, because if you actually look at it, you can see what's what's happening is the it's the f stop is really high, and um, and then they just blast as much light at it as possible to bring the bring the exposure back up, and that you just you have no depth of field is really what it is or very little. So you can kind of see like I I paused it and you can I could see that like oh actually one of these things isn't technically in focus not true focus, but it looks awesome. I mean, there's one yeah. there's the one shot specifically where I think it's the maid and Deborah Kerr and it's like she's like up front and the maid is like she and also yes. they're, they're also using like long lenses too to like pull the pull the characters apart more. Um, anyway, I, uh, I the look of this movie is so unique to me. Um, I really like it's like it's like oh man this is like an experience that I didn't know I wanted to have and now and I'm I'm finding out about it and that I'll never get to see it the way it should be seen. Have you yeah. read about the cinematography at all? No. So I read one cool little thing, but you're. Probably, I bet I know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> that for the like nighttime scenes, he painted black on the edges. Oh. Of. Yeah. Of the I, lens. I didn't read that, but I was watching. I was looking at those shadow drop yeah. offs and being like, that is nuts. Because it's like it's like when she's when she's got the candle and she's mm-hmm. uh, she's walking across the room and you can see that the shadows following her. It's 
first of all, looks incredible. It's super ominous and it's very scary. But mm-hmm. like I'm like, but then she like as she is coming to her her mark, um, I can see the light from a from an actual you know electrical light off camera. So I'm like, how are they? And it's like, how are they shooting with such with the deep focus with with just a fucking candle? Like if you compare that to like Barry Lyndon, which is which mm-hmm. would you know your lenses have an f stop of like 0.5. Like it, it doesn't even make it does not it doesn't even exist in like regular camera technology. Um, so you have super super shallow depth of field, but it's accepting you know all of the light that it possibly can. And this is like the exact opposite. So it that makes a lot of sense. But like I was like legitimately having trouble. Like how are they lighting this shit? Like it doesn't make sense. They also- to me made like special candles that had like five or six wicks so that they oh, would really? like burn brighter. <laughs> so yeah. cool. That's so fucking cool, man. This movie would actually, I feel like, pair extremely well with Barry Lyndon. I'm yes. not sure how you would round off the triple, yes. but like that would be a, a fun one. Oh, yeah. There's also a lot of like that. I started really perking up when when she first enters the house and there's just a really long take of her walking around and talking to the maid. And Mm -hmm. I was like, that feels unusual. And the camera just felt like it was moving in a very modern way. Yes. Very like it flowed better. Like obviously they don't have steady cam, but they're, you know, able to move it in like a smooth way. I don't know how they did that. I, I was, I noticed that when the kid, when they were in the atrium and then the kid runs off and then he ends up falling on the grass Mm -hmm. she chases him and I'm like, yeah. How is the camera because my, you know, the way I'm used to seeing a shot like this, you know, is that uh the kid starts running and we go to like a series of like medium wide shots of just like panning. But like the camera's tracking him. It's moving with him. Um so it's on rails or something. There's no way that that's handheld cuz it's not if it's right. handheld shit at this time is just like the jankiest thing you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it's I don't know how they did that. I don't know if they just put it on tracks and then uh, greased it up and had somebody run <laughs> at it. Like, I have no idea. But um, it looks like those shots are great. They're really, really mm-hmm. good. Um, and I yeah. don't know how they did it. Yeah. I had, it sounds like, Kit, you kind of said maybe the same thing, but Andrew had definitely said, like, <sighs> the first... I, I, I don't know where it cut off because I stopped looking at the time at a point. But yeah, like the first maybe third of the movie, I was like, oh, man, this is like one of those old like grandma hard movies to get through. Yeah. yeah. Or period piece. Yeah. Kind of like just like a number of things. Plus, as Kit knows very well, I hate annoying children in movies. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, for sure. <laughs> so that was also like the kids were like, oh, I just I'm ever so happy to see, you know, like <laughs> that kind of uh, a movie kid. Um, but then they they both. Uh, so. My my turning point for this was when uh, two of my like favorite types of scares in movies were done extremely well. So the first one was when she was headed down the dark hallway and she's going to turn left, I think, to go up a staircase. I can't remember exactly what it was, but in front of her, a, a woman in a dark, she, they're playing hide and seek. And the woman in the dark dress passes in front of her down the mm-hmm. hallway. And, mm-hmm. and that's like the kind of thing. It's not a jump scare, especially because I don't, well, maybe there, I don't know. I don't think there was like a big music cue or anything, but like, that's the kind of thing that always just gives me the willies in a movie. And then my second favorite kind of scare uh, was um, where the guy, yeah. she's, it's the first time she goes to hide behind the curtain. She sees him, his face emerge from yes. outside while she's in the window. There's a number of movies that have done 
almost the same kind of window. Yes. Not gag, but whatever uh, bit. Um, it always creeps me out, but then it's also, that's the kind of thing that doesn't, it might surprise you a bit when you're watching the movie, but then when the movie's over and you're going to bed that night yes. and you're closing the windows, yes. that's the kind of thing yeah. where you're just like, something is going to emerge and out I, of that darkness. And I love that as he's like receding, they have the little catch light in the eyes, which just like lingers mm-hmm. for an extra five to 10 seconds. Yeah. It made me wonder, I mean, is that, I want to kind of see like what's the history of those kinds of shots because like the thing that impressed me about this version is how subtly he emerges because obviously those sites for me those are the best when you can't pick out where you go from not seeing him to seeing him. Yeah. Yes. And it's the same with the lady over in the in the you know marshes for me where I'm just yeah. like wait when did she, when did she show up like she's just far enough <laughs> away and kind of like looks enough like the plants and I'm just like. Has she been there the whole time? <laughs> like, yeah. it's it's really super duper subtle. And I do think it's not a jump scare. Like, I don't think they do a sting, like, when the lady crosses yeah. the frame. There, I don't um, remember. There are a couple of music cues to emphasize scares, but it's it's so different from how it's done today. Like, it's both the same thing, but but just, like, dialed way back. It's as if... All you know, it's it's. I think what ha- has happened is people have seen this movie, and then this stuff has just been regurgitated over and over again and dialed up a little bit more every single mm-hmm. time. But yeah. this movie was just inc- it had an incredibly modern sensibility to me. Like this movie feels as if yes, it could have been made last year, and you'd be like, man, this is all the things they're doing in movies, but yeah, better than a lot of them are yeah. doing. <laughs> Um, that's why I I mean, that's why it make I think it makes me think of like, you know, elevated horror, those yeah. kinds of tropes that we end up, you know, designating that way. Um, it also, to its modernity, uh, pioneered the use of synthesized electronic uh, music oh, really? and sound effects. It's a um, the director was not happy with the score. And it's a, a British woman named Daphne Oram, who weirdly British women <laughs> were like very important to the development of 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 electronic music and like the bbc had like a whole department that's why like the doctor who theme uh, i think it's like largely delia darbyshire who did that theme um like they had a whole department that was like you know for composing electronic music um you know in the 60s uh pretty but it's really crazy to 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 see that here and to have it not sound sci-fi, like it's mm-hmm. it's very uh, unobtrusive. Yeah, I, the music. Honestly, I think. didn't yeah. I? I didn't um, notice, and I don't mean that to say that it was like music that wasn't mm-hmm. present. But I think it, it it felt probably just. I feel like I would have noticed if it was like a big kind of sweeping mm-hmm. classical score that you would usually associate with right. a movie like this. So it must have just there is, felt very integrated, I guess. Just like there is a bit of yes that isn't there though. There wasn't. An, I don't remember, but there was an entire score, like conventional score, composed for it. Um, but I only remember. I think though, like the whole. It's beyond the music too. To the whole, it was another way. It was reminding me of Black Christmas. Was that the sound is so important? Yes. Yeah. And to the movie being scary, like yeah. which like. It, I mean, Black Christmas is like one of the er examples of that, but this movie had it too, where like along with the with the montages, the kind of layering and just sort of like unrealistic volume of certain noises at times, mm-hmm. like really like freaks you 
makes you like unsettled. This is probably the oldest movie I've ever seen that I actually made me feel like some degree of scared. Like I was like a moment halfway through the movie where I'm like, oh, my God, this is scary. (laughs) 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 Like legit. And Denise isn't home, is she? No, she's not. I'm all by myself. Oh man, yeah. What I squeezing the dog. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool too because, like, I obviously I love when she's in the house and it's dark. Like that scene, that sequence is so great. good. But so I good. think that the outdoor in the sunshine pond yeah. sequence is yes. scarier. Yes, that and it's the, like and the, the way the ladies hunch down. All, it's like an a, idyllic like setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the way she's it's standing cool too. Is, is is there's just yeah there's things. Like that reminds me, uh, you know, of something that I would see in The Ring or something. Just the way she's totally st- standing. it's one hundred percent The Ring. Yeah, and that little girl I think is fantastic in that scene. Mm-hmm. She, I think she's really good. Just the way she's like looking at Deborah Carr, and apparently the director decided not. He kept the kids from knowing about any of the supernatural. He didn't want them to uh. know, like. Oh, there's gonna be a ghost there, or like this is a scary movie. He just was like, uh, you 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 know, listen to Deborah what Deborah Kerr is saying. Like, do you know what she's talking about? <laughs> no. So yeah. That's interesting. interesting. Man, yeah, I'm looking at how just dark everything. <laughs> it's just it's yeah, it's really crazy. It's it's nice. Um I feel it's it's so strange because, you know, I, I look at like, uh, I don't know, the last black and white horror movie we watched was The Uninvited. Mm-hmm. And just the the difference between that and this is um, huge, huge. And it's yes. it's also interesting seeing just like, I don't know, the way ghosts are sort of con- like, con- I don't know. Because it it wasn't at the time of the uninvited wasn't the whole thing like oh ghosts can't be like malevolent scary. yeah they can't be scary yeah. wasn't the thing <laughs> so it's this kind of like I think wispy angelic like thing mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and I think what we talked about at the time was that that was one of the movies that sort of pushed forward like the ghost mm-hmm. genre a bit like there was like the literary tradition of it but I think that in films it really hadn't been like. Here's your classic haunted house kind yeah. of thing. Right. I think that's yeah. This, I feel like but we this is about like they were usually like haunted house movies were like comedies mostly before right. that or if or it, mysteries yeah. maybe or yeah. not really like something to like yeah. you know like like this where it's you're just freaked out. Well, I think the difference <laughs> too is that it's like the difference between like an apparition where it's like glowing and you know possibly friendly looking uh, is just like the 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 idea is that oh these are dead people. You know, like the what you're looking at is a, mm-hmm. a the ghost of a dead body, not a person. Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. There's a it's it's kind of funny. It's I it made I would like to rewatch like The Shining and The Conjuring. Um, I feel like both of those movies borrow a lot from this. Yes, I think that uh, that's a good triple right there. You know, there's so much. Yeah, that's true. There's so much here that is so deeply unsuspicious. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, yeah. and, but who unfortunately <laughs> has never done a haunted house movie, but I, I wish he would. would. Be yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just like it's so deeply unsettling. Some of these things, you know, the 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 dead bird, which I suspect is probably mm-hmm. just actually a dead bird. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> I think the butterfly actors like deserve a raise. Like, because <laughs> yes. like when they have to be, there's one when she, when Deborah Carr first meets the, first meets uh, Flora, mm-hmm. and she, it's kind of almost like a foreshadowing of, you know, she's seeing a girl across a pond and then she, and, but there's just this one butterfly that flies across the frame and I'm like, Jesus Christ, did they animate that? It's so perfect. And then the spider eating the butterfly, like that poor, you know, soul. Uh, it's There's a lot of just, that's what I mean. That's what makes, I think that gets at the same kind of like sexual themes. That's why I compare it to like Bram Stoker because there's these things that are like incredibly beautiful, but with a little twist just become like horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like him and his, him and his little birds. Yep. That is, birds. it's very... <laughs> Very creepy. Um, Have you? Uh, oh, sorry. No, I was just the only the other th- just the the way that they frame the kisses between the um, the little boy yeah. <laughs> oh. are so creepy, and the way he talks it's about really how weird. how pretty she is, which I could also just see that as a I don't know how old this kid is, but a a, a prepubescent boy who's n- who who has no adult figure to like explain sexuality right. to him um and, and also just living in a probably pretty repressed society anyway like he's probably just acting normally to himself but it's just yeah it's the the length of time they hold on to those kisses too that's the other thing is just the 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 pacing of it has a mm-hmm. very it just has a very different understanding of like what freaks people out. Like I feel like so, you know, even the best horror movies that are made today, they are made on the backs of, you know, a hundred thousand other movies that have like figured out how to tap into what makes an audience afraid. And it's like, I just don't know that all of that was really present in 1961. So it's just, it, it, it feels like, it doesn't feel like a movie that's figuring out a genre either. Like even Black Christmas, I think, um, which I love. Um, like I, a lot of people say like there's there's a there's a disagreement between like oh what's the first slasher movie? Is it Black Christmas mm-hmm. or is it Halloween? And most people say it's Halloween. And I think you could argue either way, but I also understand the arguments for why it's not. It's because it feels I think Black Christmas feels like kind of like a proto slasher movie where it's sort of. It's sort of figuring out what a slasher movie is, um, mm. but this movie and doesn't... he didn't. Bob Clark did at least he says he didn't see himself as making one. He didn't. Yes. see it as like yeah. But like what I was gonna say is like I don't feel that like this movie is this feels like a movie that understands exactly what it's doing. It doesn't feel like it's playing with convention, um, and it probably is. But I'm just saying that there's so it's so masterful in the way it just um, going back to the kiss, you know, like just knowing how to hold on to that mm-hmm. for long and en- like long enough to like be uncomfortable and then weird and then grossed out and then just like come back all the way, you know, full circle to <laughs> this is I'm still uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think um, I think all of that is very good. And just and just surprising for a movie this old. What you said about her being just kind of the only available woman, I feel like it's the same for her. He's the only available like male. It's insane for. It's really yeah. It's very. Uh, it's it's very bizarre. It's the most uncomfortable <laughs> I've been. Have you guys seen uh, the um, 
what is the movie? Uh, the Last Emperor. Have you seen The Last Emperor, Mike? No. Mm-mm. All right. Well, there's a scene in the movie where like a 11, 12 year old boy is breastfeeding with like his wet nurse who he's just like kept around and they like and they show it and they're like they have like a very un obviously very unhealthy relationship um this is like the closest that's like probably one of the most <laughs> uncomfortable things i've ever seen in any movie ever <laughs> and this was like just right on the heels of that the only thing that was missing was an exposed breast it's very strange to me that like this wasn't an issue i am shocked like i will i would have thought that somebody like as far as i have read and seen this was not like a controversial movie and especially considered that like it was what in the uk it was technically it was rated x oh really really? yeah it got an x rate which uh, is different is different than an x rating here right um but it is like the 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 most amount of like uh you know, censoring they or uh, age restriction okay. that they can they can put on a movie, okay. and I I see why. Like I don't know that I, I even as a as a you know somebody living in twenty twenty two I don't necessarily want like want to put this in front of a child and be like, hey, go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think this would have scared me a lot as a kid. For yeah, sure. I was actually <laughs> thinking as I was watching it, like, what age would my kid have to be to watch this with them? Because I think it would be a good one because it's not gory. Right. But it gets under your skin. It's like, cause I, I think to become a fan of horror movies, you have to have an experience where a horror movie really scares the shit out yes. of you. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> a yes. person either, they either never watch another one for the rest of their life or they do what I do and just devote their entire do life you hear, to Do you want to hear my movies. hear my moments that made me a I, horror yes. film? I know one. I think I know one of them. Okay. Well, I'll say them and you can tell me if it's, if it's, if it's one of them. So one of them is uh, The Fly when he snaps the dude's yep. arm. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I was like nine or ten. I remember I was out to I was out to breakfast with my grandparents, and they were talking about it was like after Jurassic Park had come out, and they were like, "Hey, have you seen Have you seen the Fly science fiction movie where the guy turns himself into a, a fly on accident?" And it's it's and the thing that got me interested is my grandfather was like, "It's got the guy from Jurassic Park in it," and in my head I'm like, "Sam Neill's in it? Oh, let's go!" So I made I dragged them to the grocery store to rent. The Fly, mm. Cronenberg's The Fly, <laughs> and we put it on, and I was horrified, basically from minute like one, five or six. Yeah, uh, no, it was it was like probably a year or two after Jurassic Park, so I'm, yeah, probably like seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. Anyway, <laughs> okay. way too young to see this movie, and I remember the <laughs> moment, and like it's, I have no idea. I'm watching an arm wrestling scene. I have no as a as a little boy. I have no <laughs> reason to even suspect. That somebody can break their forearm. Anyway, I see it. I leave the room and never return. Um, and that scene, <laughs> and I didn't finish. I didn't finish the movie for ten years because it scared the yeah. shit out of me so badly. The other one <laughs> that really, really got me um, in a bad way was in Ernest Scared Stupid, where the little girl—that's that's my movie. Yeah, where she rolls over and the trolls in bed with her. Yeah, which has been done a million times in 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 truly like actually scary movies. And I remember the only reason I was able to I've seen that movie so many times. And I remember I was able to watch it again because they they kill the trolls at the end with milk. Um, And so that that like that like alleviates it. But I always used to fast forward or leave the room story. 
It's horrifying. Oh, for a lot of really? kids. And I Angelica, didn't know that that was that yes. common. And Angelica Houston in The Witches. Or yeah, all the witches. I hear that one a lot. Horrifying. Horrifying. Yeah. No, so for me, it's Ernest Scared Stupid. I was probably six. I think I was either in kindergarten or first grade, and a friend and I rented it because I had heard a kid talking about it on the bus, and I was like, okay, well, somebody's talking about a movie. I'll go check it out. And uh, yeah, both of us were like traumatized. We didn't sleep like... Yeah, like we didn't sleep with the lights off for like a month. Our moms talked like my mom was really apologetic to his mom. Like it was rated PG. I had no idea. I'm so sorry. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, that movie scared the crap out of me uh, when I was a kid. Just the whole idea. So like there's some good scares like what you're talking about. We sorry. We can talk about the innocence again in just one second. Uh, but like <laughs> just the idea of something being able to capture you, imprison you in like this little wooden doll. Yes. And then take you away from your house and everything was yeah. just like pure childhood terror it was great <laughs> yeah uh, but then i didn't was... watch another scare movie till scream and when i was in fifth grade <laughs> really that's when you came back Probably. to watch watching horror movies yeah i wasn't like a horror obsessive by any means uh until i saw scream and then it was like i basically saw jamie kennedy's character and i was like that's gonna be me so. <laughs> <laughs> uh mine was carrie um oh yeah that was a good one my mom used to always get me to try to like try to get me to watch horror movies because she likes them. And Sydney, my younger sister, was like totally fine to watch anything. Yeah. Um, and I stood in the doorway of our living room. We had like a like a den that had doors on it, and I was just like standing by the doors for like the last I don't know forty <laughs> minutes of Carrie while they watched it. Yeah. And the first thing that really shocked me was when her mom is like impaled by the knives yeah and yeah they, like don't they like pull away from the I, what it is in my mind might not even be what it is in the movie but like in my mind it's like a zoom out of like her mom like kind of hanging there like that just image scared the crap out of me yeah and then when her hand popped out of the grave i was like Terrifying. okay and then i did have like horrible nightmares and i'm like see and it's st that still happens to me where like if i like when we watched black christmas it was 10 a.m. i was at a friend's house with like a ton of people and i mean and i and it, and i was really more enjoying it as like an intellectual it didn't really scare me even though like objectively i was like this is fucking great like yeah. you know and then uh he was doing like a film festival for the rest of the day and Lee was like, I'm just going to stay here. You can take the car home. And then because I was going to go back and watch movies later. I was like, Lee, you have to at least I can't go into my house after watching this movie. <laughs> like you have to take me go in the house and then you can try. You can go back because like there's no way I'm going home alone after after watching this at yeah. freaking in the morning. What a jerk. You know? <laughs> no, like the first time. Take me. So after I saw Scream, I talked about it so much that my parents, like my mom was kind of a horror movie fan. And so we watched, we watched Carrie and we watched Halloween and I think they got me like the original prom night or something. But, um, but yeah, my mom and I watched Halloween, um, probably in the afternoon, just like on, I don't know. I don't remember if it was summer or if it was just like a weekend or what, but then we had to go over to my neighbor's house afterwards to, uh, uh, I guess just get their mail and like, I don't even think they had a pet or anything. But, like, I was like, will you come with me? And she's like, yeah. And it's like, so we just go to the, you know, because, like, their house, they're on vacation or whatever. And um, it was broad daylight. You know, I remember it totally sunny. But then just being like, you know, well, Michael Myers could be in there. I don't, I don't want to go in there by myself. But, yeah. Anyways. Horror movies are fun. They are. They're very good. Uh, and movies in general. Yeah. Let's, let's hear it for movies, people. <laughs> <laughs> but. 
Okay, let's get back to the the innocence. The, uh, innocence. So I did not. Um, I did not take a. I took very few notes, and honestly, I was pretty well. I was pretty just pretty much just like held by the movie, um, which is nice. I like that. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a question though. How did that little boy die? Yeah, it's a good question. I would not even. I think. I mean, is he for sure dead? Oh, he dead. Yeah. Okay. He, he dead. He dead or he's okay. catatonic. Yeah. But he looked dead. Um, I don't know. Okay, cool. So <laughs> he killed him. I do think we have like we have an unreliable narrator, and apparently that was going to be more prominent. Like I think they were going to actually have her narr- narration in the movie. Um, and there are weird scenes. Like if you watch that first scene, I was watching a breakdown of it, and I'm not fully convinced that this is the case but they were pointing out weird discrepancies in like the eye lines or continuity that they feel are like you know intentional and suggest some kind of rupture between what's happening and what deborah carr is like experiencing that seems like character is experiencing like a reach um so i don't know okay uh so that's the only thing that's the only thing where i was like that's stupid it was a uh uh Padme dying of a broken heart kind of thing for me. Yeah. Where I was just like, on the one why hand. Why do you think he's dead? Or how are you sure, I guess? I know why you think he's dead, but why are you sure? I'm sure because he had a, like, his face was, like, still and was looking looking off into space as if horrified by the last thing he saw. You know, like, it, it felt very much like somebody. You know what it looked like to me? It looked like a depiction of somebody who was scared to death. That's what it looked like mm-hmm. to me. And I don't I mean, I don't like personally like dig that. That's not my th- I understand why they but that's the only thing about this movie that feels like super dated to me is that these the idea of somebody being scared to death, which is I feel like something I feel like I've, I've seen it in like a few other movies, um, but it's usually pretty stupid. Um, by the way, you mentioned the ring. According to the IMDb trivia, at least, um, there's audio in the video of a boy, uh, the video that, from the ring of a boy singing, and it's from this movie. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Uh, another thing on the. On, if true. What's that? If true, yes. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, my first note is actually um, about. Uh, well, actually, that's my second note. My first note is this dude is literally hiring a mom. Um, but then my second <laughs> note is about, uh, I love that moment where the, li- it's the little girl humming the song and then it transitions to the next day and the audio drops out and all you hear is just mm-hmm. the, the wind and it's just like very light wind and then her humming and then it transitions into the next day that Deborah Kerr is singing just seamless, just chef's yeah. kiss. Be- I love those, those sort of, um, you know, little like sound bridges and, and flourishes that are, are not, yeah. they're not, and it's not difficult. It just takes a little bit of planning. I like the idea I think... of an edit that is so well planned that it's in the script and it's, and it makes its way through production. Mm-hmm. And then it just, it, it all just coalesces in the edit. I think that it's, it's not, I feel like it's kind of rare that people are able to actually like plan transitions like that. Um, they're not complicated. It's just takes thought. And I, I like that. I think that's part of what, uh, 
a big part of what makes this movie feel so modern and kind of abstract is those kinds of like pure cinema type choices. Yes. yes. Um, this is like Truffaut said this was the best British movie uh, since Alfred Hitchcock left for America. Um, there are, you know, and there's lots of things like, you know, I was reading about uh, in addition to like, so the director did not want to shoot in Cinemascope, he, but the studio insisted on it. Really? And he was like kind of horrified. Yeah. Um, uh, what, do you know why he didn't want to? And do you know why the studio forced him because to? Because it was so wide. Because <laughs> it's just like, that's the studio I'm assuming for marketing reasons. But like when I think of Cinemascope, I think of like like a John Ford movie or something. Like it's just, it's weird to me that the studio, this is, you know, this actually, this is funny to me because it reminds me of like, you know, 2009, 2010 when every movie had to be in 3D. 3D. You know, and I wonder, but even then, it's not like we were making our dramas 3D. Like it was still just, you know, action movies right. or whatever. So it's such I a- think that's part of it is it's like it doesn't, it didn't make any sense to him. It wasn't what he was planning to do, but the- uh, Freddie Francis was like immediately was like we'll use a lot of vertical lines and then he also I think pretty quickly settled on like and we'll put people really f- far apart in the frame and keep like a bunch of empty space because they'll make it scarier which is like that's, that's so- incredible it's incredible that's so cool <laughs> it, it honestly it, it how did he know <laughs> it it makes me excited for you know the possibilities of cinema but I mean just like mm-hmm. You know, we think of like an IMAX movie or a 3D movie or whatever. We think of them as being kind of reserved for certain genres. And mm-hmm. maybe we should be, you know, experimenting and making a, a you know, a, a period drama that's in 3D or in IMAX or whatever. It's probably too expensive. But, um, yeah, I don't know. There's just it's 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 feels this movie feels like it's tapping into something that has since been untapped. <laughs> I also I think it's interesting too that like we've talked about how there's sort of there wasn't as much horror and particularly like ghost stories for this movie to pull from at the time. And even so, it doesn't to me feel Hitchcockian. Like no. it it feels like it's doing something different. Yep. And uh Jack Clayton also very specifically was like, I don't want it to be like a hammer horror movie. Hmm. Interesting. Um I don't think like, I really do think he wanted it to be like a drama that's yeah. scary. Well, I, I, I'm I thinking of like Hammer Horror movies and I feel like I'm more thinking of like the 70s, like um, Dracula movies and things like that. I, I, and they I, were, were they big doing... in the 50s and 60s too. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Uh, you know, oh, and and actually the... Hammer was a studio that became known for horror, but they did have like, like gangster movies and all sorts yeah. of, kind of stuff. Yeah. This and movie. much like um, the uninvited, this is also like one of Guillermo del Toro's like top, you know, favorite. Not I can totally movies. see that with yeah. Crimson Peak. Not 100%. surprised. Like, yeah, it's funny because I had I'm pretty sure I had seen this before, but uh, yeah, I've seen probably a lot of the movies that inspired it in the intervening year or were inspired by it in the intervening years, and I don't know that I would have had I not rewatched it. I don't know that I would have come back around on it. It's Joe Dante's favorite horror movie. Really. That's weird. Again, according to IMDb. Okay. So. Huh. This guy did not make that many movies. Right. That's why. Yeah, what else did uh, Clayton, Jack Clayton make? He did The Great Gatsby, which is the only other movie on here that I've heard of. The 
Robert Redford one? Uh-huh. I hated I that hated one. I hated it. <laughs> yeah, everybody does. I mean, you can't... I think Gatsby is, like, unadaptable, but I actually find that version more annoying than the Baz It's because of Mia Farrow. I, yeah. I hate yeah, Mia Farrow. Every, that's what everybody says. That's what everybody says. I, I mean, I agree. Um, but, yeah, he did... Uh, the Lonely Passion of Judith M- Merm, which is a Maggie Smith, Bob Hoskins oh. movie from... He did Something Wicked This Way Comes. Never the seen. The Disney one. Oh, I've it's, never, never oh, heard. It's so good. Never seen that. You both should watch it. I wanted to put it in the triple uh, for Halloween, but I didn't do it this last year. Do it this Maybe this year. year. Yeah, yeah, this year we'll do it. Um, not a perfect movie, but it is a very enjoyable movie. The, po- yeah, the poster is like, awesome. I could have done this for Shocktober for sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah. This would have this would have got yeah. This is a easy. This is a freaking slam dunk for Shocktober. I'm actually bummed that I was as I was watching it last because like you know after I don't know five six years of doing Shocktober, um, it's amazing how quickly you run out of like, and I run out is probably not a correct uh, characterization, but um, you you start looking harder for like scary movies or whatever because there's so many that's the thing because the horror genre is so you know um cheap in terms of like how, how much it costs to make one of these movies it feels like there's just so much more bad horror movies than there are good mm-hmm. horror movies and i was like i don't know how i miss this because i look i look every year i look for i look at lists of the greatest horror movies of all time i have never seen this once on any list and it mm-hmm. blows my mind um, and I'm bummed that I don't have it, that I'm not going to watch it. I mean, I will, I probably will just rewatch it, but I, I was like, oh man, I wish it was October and I wish my wife was here. Aw. But that is wild though. It is wild that this he is said not that, like. He didn't say that to be sweet. He said that because he was scared, kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wish Denise was here. I'm just surprised. I'm surprised that this isn't like on more, you know, lists, really. See, I, I feel like I've always heard of it as a very highly regarded movie. Like it's like it got a Criterion edition, and um, yeah, that's. I don't think true. it gets. I don't. I don't know if it's always talked about as a horror movie, though. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I, I yeah. Think it's. I had heard it discussed as like you know psychological drama. I don't care. It is a horror it's, movie. It's, it's definitely a, a ghost yeah. movie. Oh, for sure. Uh, I wonder if it's kind of because like like Psycho is nineteen sixty. So I wonder if when people do like the greatest, you know, 15 greatest horror movie lists yeah. or something. Like if they kind of like skip over this because Psycho kind of covers the early 60s. And so they're like, well, you know, nobody wants to watch old movies. So we'll put Psycho to be our classic, you know, or The Birds or something like that. And then we'll jump right, right into the 80s and it's do just, the same like 10 80s movies that everybody does. I just think it's so wild because I feel like I feel like in a for a long time. And you can tell me if I'm crazy, but I feel like that Psycho was characterized as like the first modern horror movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like this. I like this so much more than I like Psycho. Uh, and, and it's also like so much of Psycho. Like there's plenty of like things to be like unnerved of and scared of in that movie. I do like Psycho a lot, but it's like I f- it's it's kind of it's kind of the same with the uninvited where like the things that are scary about it kind of dissolve when we're not building up to something that's scary and it just kind of like reverts back to just like no I don't people know people hanging out people hanging out exactly it's kind of like <laughs> like the first scene in this movie 
it would be like, you know what? Good example. The Lodger. The Lodger, where um, the movie is like scary when it's scary. And then it's just like people in very well lit rooms having everyday conversations for the rest of the movie where it's like it doesn't understand that, like, you can actually hold the audience for the entire movie and make them See, feel a certain way the entire time. We had a kind of debate actually about Black Christmas in that regard because I think Black Christmas does that. I but I think somehow it manages to make it scary. Like I don't personally think that Black Christmas is like hold is necessarily holding the tension or a certain mood the whole time the way that this movie manages to do. Like you most of the movie is just like boring 70s people talking about like dumb shit but i think there is something in that because it feels so normal and mundane it does come back around to like being like it being sad in a way of like oh they're they have no fucking idea they're just like yes. going up like the idea that she's up there you know oh yeah in the attic while yeah. all of this just normal stupid shit is going yeah. on no i agree does come back around to being scary but it is not it's not like tension to me those scenes it's just like all oh, these poor these poor See, stupid assholes i i would say both work for me um but i think that it, it depends on how you you play it like because yeah. i mean obviously i think all of us we love psycho we love black christmas we really all enjoyed this a lot mm -hmm. uh but yeah like there is like this feels like so I don't like Rosemary's Baby, um, and I feel like this would probably like if you were to make like you know people want to have elevated horror and stuff. I feel like if you were to do Tears, this would be in the Rosemary's Baby like uh, tier or something, like because it's like classy and it's very Holly. Like it's uh, I don't know, but it's it feels very like smart. It feels like a very smart person. Like I mean, because it's based on a novel and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I feel like for the type of horror movie that this is just a very spooky, like, you know, what did you say earlier? Like domestically based mm -hmm. kind of like a ghost movie, like the, yeah, you never really get like the scene of people hanging out just like whatever, not realizing that doom awaits them. Whereas like what makes black Christmas effective to me is like you're saying, like there's a dead girl in the attic uh, you know, and then like people below her are just like yeah. completely oblivious and they have no idea that there's this maniac, like, mm -hmm. you know, on the, I, I don't know. So yeah, I don't know that, I guess, I guess all that to say, I don't know that I would put these two together and compare one favorably or unfavorably. Cause I think they're both two different flavors of the same, you know, they're both scary, but it's just, they do it in a different way. But um. if the innocence had a bunch of scenes of them, like, like you said, Andrew, just like sitting there, like in the lodger where they're just kind of hanging out in the drawing room <laughs> discussing the news or whatever, like that would certainly pull this movie down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's well, like the lodger it's, it's, does use that to its advantage, too. Like we, we talked about at the time, like when the townspeople are so nice to each other and so like, you know, like saying, hey, do you want me to walk you home? And the lady's like, oh, I'll be fine. Oh, yeah. And that's it's true. like every they're so happy and like celebrating well, uh, like it's like that the bartender was very nice. Right. <laughs> he was like, ah, old Madge over here. I hate her. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Apparently for Bosley Crowther, who's like, I don't know if he ever had the right take on a movie. <laughs> like he's like like every time um Be Kind Rewind, that channel that does like 
basically like is following every best actress race in history, making a video about it. Like he <laughs> is always the example of like, here's a critic who sounds like a big idiot now. <laughs> like, about this movie. But he said of this movie, we fear that old hands long familiar with the traffic and tricks of horror films will feel a bit bored by this screen version of Henry James's what famous the tale, f- the turn of the screw. Fuck? So mild and ingenuous it is alongside others of the genre. And especially do we fear they will be let down by the lucent performance of Deborah Kerr as the supposedly morbid young woman who is the focal figure in the tale. And then they also so, said, this is, yeah. That's annoying, but it's part of why that's annoying to me is because he got to see it in a theater. <laughs> yeah. He probably well, saw it just, on like a huge screen. What a waste. Yeah. What, what is, what, like we're, we keep talking about, and obviously look, Bosley Crowther probably had a lot better idea of like what horror movies had come out in the 40s and 50s like sure, up to yeah. this point. But like we're sitting here saying like, boy, it sure feels like they're like inventing the ghost story <laughs> movie. And he's like, oh, I've seen it all before. I'm like, can you tell us where? Because we'd love to yeah. watch it. Um, <laughs> but then somebody else said um, it, it got like, I I don't know if it, I, I, it seems like it got mixed reviews. Um, Wild. Uh, Time Magazine said uh, they criticized the script for unhappily pressing hard, much harder than James did, for the psychiatric interpretation. They have obviously failed to perceive that in suggesting a normal, everyday basis for supernatural phenomena, they must inevitably relieve the spectator of his nameless horror of what might happen. But isn't horror, when all said and done, the Im- most important experience this tale is intended to communicate? It's like, hmm, I think... I- <laughs> Isn't that why psychological horror is good? Is that like, is it worse that ghosts are doing this or that human beings, like normal yeah. people are doing this, like, you know, in the name of some bullshit? Like, it just, I don't know. Poor, poor guys. Yeah, I think I think some people just want something to say. But Boyd Martin of the Courier Journal praised the film as a quote spooky chiller. <laughs> you boy, know what? Boyd, 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 Boyd Martin Boyd. is my boy. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Boyd Martin. A spooky chiller. Honestly, that review is is so much better and so much more thoughtful than those other two idiots. Yeah. And what even is the Courier Journal, you know? Pauline know. Kale loved it. She said it's the best ghost movie I've ever seen. There you go. Uh, it's go funny because it's like whenever it's like whenever I dis whenever Pauline Kale says something about a movie that I like that I that is like uh you know mean, mean I'm like, oh God, why is she doing this? And then anytime, anytime I, she agrees, we agree. I'm just like, yes, there's my reasoning. That's why this movie is good. Is because Pauline Kael says it's good. <laughs> A big De Palma fan, worth noting. Yes. Um, His greatest champions. So I, I think we have not specifically said, we've talked about Freddie Francis, and I think he, not to take anything away from Jack Clayton or Deborah Kerr, mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Freddie Francis is, is what makes this movie, for sure, like great. I think yeah. so much of it's all the visual stuff. Yeah. I mm-hmm. also I think I think Deborah Kerr is actually she's she's very good in it too. Um, but yes, uh, I I don't think we had said I don't think we've ever watched a Freddie Francis movie before. We have not. Okay. What else so, did he do? Yeah, I was looking through the list. So he did the Elephant Man. Oh. And he did the Straight Story. But oh, he also which did, Lee which, is seeing right now, by the way. Lee is at the music box seeing the straight story right oh, now. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> That's such a good movie. That those that those might be my two I don't know. I would throw a racer head in. 
But like those are my top David Lynch movies. Those are my top uh, David Lynch movies. Story. They're so good. Yeah. He'd... Um. But uh. But yes, he also did another one of my favorite movies, which I don't think I realized. Um. Does anybody want to to throw out a guess? The Man in the Moon. The Man in the Moon. Yeah. <laughs> which is Robert Mulligan, who he did um uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. What's, what's he um, also did so. Scorsese's Cape Fear. What's the Man in the Moon? That's a good one. That's the one with it's Reese, a Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. It's like the kind of southern coming oh, of age. I've never heard story. of this. I should watch this. I could put it in a triple. I've thought about putting it in a triple. Yeah, I would watch this. But James Newton Howard did the music. Very good movie. Very cool. It's a little little schmaltzy, but I love it. It's a very good nineties kids movie. Yeah, I would watch that. Um, what was the other one? Oh, you you said he he did he did uh he did Cape Fear, the Scorsese one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good looking movie. Yeah. Okay. He also had a pretty uh long filmography as a director but mostly horror schlock but i you know it makes me curious you know what's the best freddie francis directed movie it's interesting i've seen most of these (laughs) not good um no i mean they're not i mean they're hammer it's a lot of hammer stuff and i don't love i don't always love hammer but i always love watching a hammer film like they're they're very pretty to look at um i am often the deadly bees i can tell you is not a good film uh <laughs> the psychopath is really good um i feel like i'm always really surprised by how are incredible by how bad yeah. um like whenever like a really good cinematographer goes and becomes a director like you sometimes get like really bad movies and also movies that don't look very good which is always surprising <laughs> yeah. to me. like i remember when mm-hmm. wally fister stopped working with Nolan and went and did his own thing. And it was that weird AI movie. And the movie looked like garbage. It did not look good. And then um, Transcendence. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, it was a weird movie. Came and went, but it was like a big deal because it was like, oh, Wally Fister's going to go direct movies now. That should be interesting. And yeah. then it just didn't look good. And then I, I you're going to not like to hear this, but, um, you know, for, for forever, Yann DeBont was like, the guy and speed looks yeah. great and even twister looks pretty good then you go watch speed too and it looks like a tv movie compared agree but compared to other better than the first that is it. mike michael <laughs> sir michael when was the last time you watched speed i will tell you that i watched the movie a couple years ago and did you watch speed too in in real yeah. i bought I bought a two-pack on Blu-ray of Speed and Speed 2. And you... And Sarah and I have determined that we are the only two people on the planet. This is why we are married. We are the only two people on the planet who enjoy Speed 2 more than Speed 1. This I think that's hurts. a different thing. Enjoying Speed 2 yes, more than that's Speed true. 1 is different from saying no. it's a better movie. I think they're that both they're both equally insane to me. Because, <laughs> like, I... No, no I, I, I see that Speed is a better film. But we both enjoy Speed 2 more because it's on a big boat. So that's what I like about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, hey, nothing. Hey, you know what else? there's Related. nothing scarier than a big boat. Let me tell you. It doesn't have point, to be scary. It's just point fun. break. Fucking great movie. Yeah. Point break's a good one. Yeah. Fucking awesome. What did he, what did, did he shoot that? <laughs> no, it's just, I watched it the same weekend at the same film festival. Just thinking big uh, action movie type of stuff. Big yeah. Keanu. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. And yeah. the cinematography is fantastic. In it that is. Movie. It is. It's a great movie. It's really funny. Didn't they like remake Point Break? Yes, did they I? did. Yes. They did a few years ago. I have seen it. Did anybody see that? I did. Okay. Yeah, I did. Of course. Of course you did. I did, yeah. It's uh well, here's what we should do. Painful. We should do 
the remake of Old Boy that Spike Lee did. We should yeah. do the remake of Point Break and Please Point no. Break, and then also some like other movie that they remade a very well regarded. You movie could do The Haunting. You could liked. do Psycho. You could <laughs> yeah. do so many, so many movies. What just came? There's like another one that was pretty recent. Oh, you know, Nightmare Alley. Uh, so many. Oh it's, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. It is crazy that how often that happens where somebody remakes a movie and then we as a society decide to talk about how terrible it is and then and then forget it forever. Yeah. They remade this movie. They remade The Innocence. Yeah, recently. I saw that. I saw Did that. Did they readapt the book or they actually remade the film? I think they readapted mm-hmm. the book. Okay. That is my that's what I suspect. Um I will also I was looking at his Freddie Francis's filmography as director trog is uh joan crawford's last film but it is also trog, widely regarded as a terrible movie yeah i've never seen that one that's one but, of the few uh, that's one of the few times that uh, not one of the few times but that is definitely a time when i would uh judge a book by its cover or title trog well yeah tales from the crypt is good but anyhow what were you saying kit i don't know now i'm confused as to whether they remade this but i think they did I mean, they've adapted Turn of the Screw a lot. Yeah. And there's a lot yeah. of movies that are like loosely, you know. Oh, just yeah, based true. on Turner. Another one that just because we're talking about things that are inspired or maybe loosely adapted or whatever. The Others with Nicole Kidman. Oh, yeah. I totally was thinking about that the whole time. Yeah. Absolutely. Really, I've never seen that movie. I really want to watch it. Kid, I think you could. It's a good one. I think you could. It's I think I could, too. I already know the. Here's what I'll say what I, the spoiler is but when i saw well yeah because it they well also they had done that like a year earlier in the sixth sense um oh yeah but um i remember when i saw that movie in the theater i thought it was the scariest movie i've ever seen and then when i watched it 15 years later i was like that movie's not scary at all but it's still really good oh also okay. it's uh produced by tom cruise i think it's the only tom cruise production cool. he's not in i didn't know that uh-huh I remember enjoying the film, but I have not seen it since probably it first came out on DVD, like 2001 or two or whatever. It's worth a rewatch. It's good. Is it on Blu-ray? Yes, I have it. Okay. Of course you do. Mm-hmm. Wow. Looks like it might be out of print. 27 bucks. Yeesh. You're sitting on a gold mine, Andrew. I should start selling things that I just happened to buy 10 years ago. You know, I've I've made... Several hundred dollars off of eBay selling Blu-rays. But you've also spent several thousands of dollars putting all (laughs) that back into (laughs) Blu-rays. Yeah, I've got no other notes. uh, So it sounds like we have no little stragglers, which means... Time for the cruise minute. That was really good. Usually I do the song, but uh, we'll let it go, I guess, this week. Okay. We could do two songs. Yeah, Mike. Like, I want to do a song after you've already done a song. Okay. The next episode, I get to do the bell ringing. Like, I get to do the lead up, and then you do Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, okay. Tom Cruise. Okay. 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 I'll, I'll remember that. But don't leave me hanging, and I'm just like 30 seconds like. Hi, Lee. Lee's home from seeing the straight story. Is he crying? He's on the phone with somebody talking about what a perfect film it was, I think. Excellent. It's, it's, that movie is so. It's a beautiful film. I've got two pieces of cruise news. They both have to do with Top Gun. Uh, One has to do with the original Top Gun. 
So there was a thing that came out, some factoid from some press junket or something, where they 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 shot more footage for Top Gun Maverick than all three Lord of the Rings movies combined. And um, what? Yeah, hang on a sec. I gotta yell at my dog. Ripley, be quiet, please. Silence. Thank you. Yeah. So that's that is (laughs) that that is in line with what happened to the with the first uh, Top Gun movie because they didn't. Like shooting that stuff was such a nightmare, because uh, you just you get split seconds of you know usable footage basically, and um, so I think when we watch Top Gun, whenever that is, uh, I think we'll kind of we'll kind of realize that. But what essentially happened is they shot a shit ton of footage, and they wanted to come back and make a sequel to Top Gun like right after it came out, and the filmmakers were like, no, our editors went through everything. And I think Tom Cruise didn't want to do it or something. But anyway, they were like, we'll just do it without you. And they went through all the, they're like, no, our editors went through all the footage and we, 98% of it was not usable. The only footage that's, that the airplane footage that shows up represents 2% of what we shot. And they sent like the studio editors down there. You know, I just imagine these dudes in like black suits and horn rim sunglasses or whatever. And they determined the exact same thing, which is like, oh, my God, all of this footage is trash, except for exactly what's in the movie. Um, So I like that story. And then the next this little little more lighthearted is that uh, Tom Top Gun Maverick's biggest creative battle was uh, over Tom Cruise's aviator jacket. Apparently. Uh, God damn it, Ripley. Quiet. Give me five minutes, and then you can scream at whatever you want. Uh, the jacket was a huge deal to a lot of people. Everybody was they. Uh, everybody was saying it's a big part of who Maverick is, and I thought I could barely describe the jacket to you. It's not Indiana Jones hat. It's not Superman's mm. cape. It's an aviator jacket. And Cruz himself had lost that loving feeling for the jacket and was reluctant to don it again. <laughs> I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to wear this. The star and producer says, it was part of the legacy of the first film. How do you know what to leave and what to add in? Um, this is not as interesting as I thought it would be. So does he? did he abandon it? <laughs> no. He said, we finally figured okay. out how to put... This is all Christopher McQuarrie talking. Um, but uh-huh. he said, you know, they finally figured out how to put it in. It's a lucky jacket. And now we have him open a closet and go into the back and pull the thing out and wear it for a special occasion. Okay, so he's only wearing it for, like, one scene, apparently. You know, I think that's good. I think that's smart. It sounds like I really got to see the original Top Gun if I'm going to understand this movie. (laughs) Because I would not see a shot of him opening a closet and seeing a jacket and go, oh, it's that jacket. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I assume you would. How can you? how, How could you not? Well, you're gonna only if you, I'll only do it if you like if we make it a special thing. We will. I only watch movies we podcast about. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. That's fair. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Um. All right. Excellent cruise news. Thank eight. you, Andrew. As as always, you're the only one with cruise news items. But. They shot 800 hours of footage. That's crazy. So for just for for context, um, for every minute of screen time, there's usually 50. 50 minutes of footage for narrative Jesus Christ, and for documentary. And that includes like all the takes and stuff. I'm sure for like a Fincher movie, it'd be like way more, but that's on average. And then for a documentary, it's usually 500 to one. And then this is 800 hours of footage. So it's just like insane. It's an insane amount of footage. <laughs> yes. So expensive. Footage. So expensive. A lot of beautiful bean footage. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. 
Well, thank you for joining us tonight, folks. But Mike, what are we going to watch next week? Oh, thank you. Gosh, I'm always in such a hurry to get out of here. Please join us next week for uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock, which I don't remember what year that is. 1971? Okay. Sounds about right. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. 75. 1975's Picnic at Hanging Rock, directed by the great Peter Weir. That'll be yes, fun. Just watch the Truman Show as part of that uh, uh, film fest, and boy, does that film. movie hold up! It's I'm telling you, still very I'm, brilliant. Mm-hmm, you know stuff. what the creep? Can I just say the creepiest thing about that movie to me of all <laughs> the like prescient things that that movie does, like you know, which are innumerable, is the picture in picture. There's a part at the end once we've oh, yeah. know, met Ed Harris and everything. Where the picture in picture is shaped exactly like a self, like a modern smartphone, and I'm just like, why? Oh, I have no clue why it's shaped that way. Huh. And it's eerie how is much yeah. it is like looking at FaceTime. It is it's very pretty. Weird. It's pretty shocking because like that is there's no precedent for what for that whatsoever at that time because that right. the way cuz as you know like the way we look at art is in rectangles that's the way art is depicted right. it's the way we see and to the only reason we think about like vertical video is because cell phones so i and yeah, i truly no i have not stopped thinking about that since i since we watched that movie last weekend because i now i'm i'm just sitting there thinking like but why are cell phones vertical like well, why do we decide to make that screen vertical and so, but it's, is it in it? I haven't seen the movie for a bit. Is it in his bathroom mirror? Yeah. That's is what that, I'm wondering is if it's yeah. something to do with like what the kind That's of camera. Crazy, but then why That's not a there? square? Why not but a the, square? You know, why? why yeah. They even put like, they it has curved corners on it. Oh boy. Like it's very not weird. a, re, it's like shaped exactly like an iPhone. It's very bizarre. Mm. Huh. Cool. I should watch that again. Yeah. It's a great movie. <sighs> All right. Slow motion triple feature was recorded at the top of the tower and a bird pooped on Andrew. <laughs> Special thanks to our producer Lee, the man in the booth who makes it sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com. You know, it's not and the I first time it's not the first time a bird has pooped on me. <laughs> Nor will it be the last. <laughs>